Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. As I suspected it would, the topic of the series that we're doing now uh, called You Have a Moral Obligation to Be Rich has raised some eyebrows, and that's good because it enables all of us to start having a conversation about maybe why it is, why it's the real heart of the reason why so many people basically never become rich. And I received a lot of interesting texts afterwards. I got a great one from David Tatum, which I'm going to summarize and read to you guys in a second. But before I do, Julie, welcome to today's podcast. Oh, you know what? Listeners, I forgot to unmute Julie. So maybe we should do a quick online poll if I should unmute Julie or not. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on, Julie. Real nice. Are you there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, it happens. You know what? If I hadn't unmuted you, you just would have gone shopping on Etsy to buy more stuff for Zoe anyway. I was, so I just I, I was reaching for uh, the button. I, I mean no, button. Sorry. The button, Yes. All right, so do you have a moral obligation to be rich? This is part two. We're going to be getting into the weeds a little bit more today. And, again, I appreciate the – not all the feedback was positive. Some of you guys took offense to us. You okay. know, you didn't really listen, frankly, to what we were saying, and and I get it. Some of you guys are busy and you're not listening to this podcast. Um, you're listening to it passively. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Over the tens of thousands of listens and, you know, hundreds of thousands of listens now, this show will have had – in the last recording periods, had um, 7 million, get this, well, not quite, but close to 7 million streams and downloads. That's pretty amazing. But we get a lot of pictures and things, uh, you know, you guys have probably seen some of these too online, but my favorite one is where people are listening while they're, like, driving in their Teslas or, you know, and they're mm-hmm. showing a screenshot of their screen. But the, the my favorite of all time is where I see, like, people that have uh, settled in and listened to the podcast at the end of the day uh, while having a glass of wine or they're listening to us while they're exercising. You know, you guys have you have you have all this show has become a normal part of our lives, and it's our honor that we've become a normal part of your life too. And so you have to give us a little bit of levity when we're trying to expose you guys to new things and things that um, maybe can expand your thinking in such a way that'll cause you to be confrontational with some of your beliefs. And again, I'm not trying to talk you out of any sort of specific religious beliefs or even political beliefs, nothing like that. All we're trying to do is force you guys or hopefully force you to be confrontational with yourself about why you're not rich. Now, yesterday, if you didn't listen to that show, we drilled down and kind of got the the ball rolling. And uh, the the homework for you to think about from yesterday, or at least, you know, hopefully you took this seriously, was to actually figure out, download the real estate treasure map, and we give that to you free. All you have to do is text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996, so text the word Harris, to 31996. And when you do, you're going to get six free books, including the Real Estate Treasure Map. The Real Estate Treasure Map is your fill-in-the-blank business plan. The heart of the business plan is getting to exactly how much money you have to earn per month to essentially cover all your personal bills. Now, that is the first leg in understanding 
um, completely embracing what yesterday's show was all about, which is realizing that to be rich, it's not 10 million or 20 million or even maybe for you it's not even 100,000, though it probably is. For you to be rich, it's essentially where you have money coming in passively that exceed, at least it meets but ideally exceeds the amount of money you need every month to pay your, your personal bills. So if you have a personal overhead, as most of you do, because we've had this conversation with bazillions of agents over the years, most of you have personal overhead that's probably around five to seventy five hundred bucks. That's for your whole family. Now, if you're living a really consumptive lifestyle, or if you're living, you know, living in a really expensive area of the country, I had the highest I ever had. You guys are going to think I'm making this up, but I'm not. But someone had a personal overhead of about one hundred and thirty thousand a month. Now, it just it's worth the side note because you guys will be raising eyebrows thinking I'm making it up. They had three kids. They lived in a very expensive part of the East Coast. They sent their kids to private schools. They sent their kids to private summer camps. They spent a lot of money at Neiman Marcus in particular. And so all their average, their average monthly personal consumption worked out to be the number I just said. Well, fortunately for them, they earned uh, 4 to $5 million a year. So bah, who cares? <laughs> it all worked out. But know what your number is because then – if you can just say, for example, when you discover what it is, say it's 7500 bucks, then you can start focusing, um, and that reels us back into what we're talking about with you today. So if you can focus on what it means, what would it feel like, that's a good way to attach yourself to that too. What would it feel like to wake up every single day knowing you had enough money coming in that particular month to meet or exceed your personal financial obligations? Immediately, if you're taking this seriously, if you're allowing yourself to actually feel the feelings of being rich, you're going to feel like maybe you've never felt before, truthfully, because you've gotten so used to the burden of being uh, essentially uh, having to you know, work, having to pay debts, having to worry about what happens if you take a day or a week off, having to worry about changes in the economy, the political this is the other things, interest rates, you know, all these things that people live in fear of having to actually, you know, that's the reason that politicians have so much power over humans. That's the reason that the government does right now, too. There's an unprecedented amount of government control over society right now. And how does that control everyone? Out of fear. So if you had enough money coming in every month that you didn't have to worry about all the things that you know essentially you're supposed to be worrying about, they want you to worry about, whoever the they is, but you guys understand what I'm saying. If all of a sudden you were free from all of that, so the work you did, the work that you chose to do, the people you chose to do business with, that all of a sudden, that pivots. So you go from you know, you still probably want to grind it out and do a good, spend a good bit of your day doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level. But what then happens on the other side of that is the money that you're earning from that um, is going to go to things that you want it to go to opposed to things it has to go to. You see, this is freedom. This is, the, this is basically the highest level of freedom and the greatest gift you can give yourself and your, your family. And the point is it does not require an astronomical amount of money. And on the last of uh, these ser- of the series of podcasts, we're going to talk about some of the best vehicles to go about. And I, I mean best ways. I shouldn't say vehicles. You guys will take it literally to go about producing, um, creating the passive income the quickest. And we're going to share with you what we did. We're going to share with you what a lot of our coaching clients have done. And we're going to share with you, frankly, what we wish we would have done uh, you know, over the past 28 years that would have got us to where we've been for a while, which is essentially our own definition of rich. So I want to really get into the weeds, and I'm going to start with reading. Um, now, David just sent me some um, random thoughts, basically, 
from the podcast. Let me find it again. But I thought they were really good. Do, 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 where, here he is. Okay, this is right from my phone. And by the way, if you guys ever want to text me, you can text me directly at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. All right, so let me go to it. Okay, so he said, great podcast today, uh, best so far for me, aside from the interview that we did with Chuck Williamson, and I agree, I love that interview with Chuck Williamson. Make sure you guys go back and listen to that. It's on iTunes, Stitcher, TimAndJulieHarris.com. Okay, now what he's doing, and I'm going to read these quotes from you or for you. He's going to he, He's basically sharing with us, what he was told when he was growing up or what he hears other people saying about essentially affluence and being rich. Okay, um, he said, me and, and many agents fight with these to varying degrees and circumstances. He, he said, and these are the, here we go with the quotes. He said, real estate agents are all crooks. You know, that, you guys have heard that before too. Or people, like have you ever noticed that when there is a villain um, in any kind of uh, TV or movie, have you guys noticed that there's a higher propensity of them being real estate agents? Have you noticed? There's, there, I, though I don't know if USA Today does this anymore. There's the most to least profession in the United States, and real estate agents always at the bottom of the list. In other words, the least respected um, is like essentially at the bottom or the very almost the bottom, like by used car salesmen and everything. So there's, it's no wonder that you might have misperceptions about being successful in real estate if you actually believe that what you're doing is an essentially it, it brings disdain from others. Okay, so I'm just sharing with you. This is what David's thoughts were. Real estate. Okay, we did that one. And he, here's the next one. He says, "Bible says in quotes it's wrong." Uh, so here's his quote: "Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit." And in blink of an eye, wealth disappears, uh, and it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Proverbs 24. He gives me the Bible quote and all that. Then his next one is no uh, more money, higher standard of living means more problems. I mean, there's rap songs about that, right? A crash happened in 0607. Happened once, will happen again. The more the see, the more you have, the more you will lose. And this is a, you know, these are all things that basically he had bounced around in his head that he had to work through. All of the above not true, and there are interpretations that constantly gum up the works and comment among new struggling average agents. Turn the corner on this crap personally. Picked up the phone, reaching out to people. Um, uh, and then he goes and talks about his own way he went about working, uh, rounding the bend. I know I personally, when I was growing up, without really knowing it, and, I, and guys, it wasn't until I was really in my 30s really, when Julie and I really started taking our coaching business to the next level. And then as being good coaches, we had to help some of you guys move past the things that were holding you back. And by helping you move past the things that were holding you back, it was cathartic for us, and we moved past those things ourselves. But it, in that process of those tens of thousands of coaching calls, I have to tell you, I really did root out some really nasty software that was, quote, unquote, you know, implanted or given to me, mental software and ways of thinking by some of the people that I loved and, and you know, trusted the most. They had given me thoughts about wealth creation and wealth accumulation that were absolutely um, leading to my behavior being when we had money, maybe don't keep it. When we, you know, as essentially affluence is bad, you know, all these types of things. Julie, you have any thoughts on this? Well, I, I think that we all have some of that. I mean, David gave lots of fantastic examples that for the most part, I bet probably 99% of it was received by all of us subconsciously, even unconsciously. You don't realize it, and I think that it doesn't come out until – you have to deal with some financial responsibility. And, I mean, how many agents do we know, how many agents do our listeners know 
that have been through some kind of extremely significant financial strife, not just the recession, be, besides don't step the recession. On, hey, lady, don't step yeah. on point num- or rule number three. Don't move ahead. Yes, I, are, I'm segueing towards that. Don't segue yet. Don't segue <laughs> okay. yet. That's okay, fine. That's All Julie's I'm saying is it comes, it comes out, these subconscious things come out when you're least suspecting it. Because as a kid, you're not having to manage any of that. You don't have to manage any of those thoughts until you actually have to take care of yourself as an adult. So it would make sense that people don't have much uh, financial education or have that moral obligation to be rich. That's not pre-programmed into virtually anybody. Quite it's the not. And, well, you know, but you and I have learned from coaching, Julie, that there are – well, coaching and other things we've done. We are involved in the you know, YEO and YPO, yeah. and we've, been got, we've got to know a lot of very wealthy people of, in our lifetimes. I mean, Julie and I are not spring chickens. And I'll tell you guys that wealthy families definitely teach their children to the, the true value of wealth. And they teach their kids uh, the, uh, essentially how to earn it, how to retain it. But one of the key elements in what wealthy families teach their kids, with that poor people, frankly, like I was a poor kid and Julie was a middle-class kid, and all of you probably listening to us right now to a lesser degree are just like we were or are, frankly. The reality of it is is that we were not taught values about wealth accumulation, let alone um, wealth retention. We were not – those conversations never happened at most of our kitchen tables. And it gets even worse because, you know, our parents didn't know how to do it. They never did it because our parents were indoctrinated into a way of thinking, but not just our parents. Everybody around us, our preachers, our pastors, our rabbis, our school teachers, all of our friends, all of our family members, conversations about um, – accumulating wealth and retaining wealth never happens to <laughs> does it and when you reach out trying to find this information um, then you oftentimes fall prey to total and complete scam artists who their way of accumulating wealth is to sell you information on their little scam on how to create wealth it's not real it's fake so it's no wonder why so many people are skeptics and mistrusting it's because they don't actually have any clear path forward but ultimately, the reason that, some, that most people had never accumulate rich, you know, become rich, the very basic definition where their wealth, their you know, money works for them and they no longer have to work for their money, is because they're afraid of breaking free of the, you know, Julie and I used to call it our, you know, our golden cage. I mean, that's we felt like when we were selling real estate, we lived in this beautiful mini mansion in a New Albany Country Club area. We were, you know, in our late, you know, I mean, Julie turned. Uh, 30 in that house that we had, which yeah. was a house that most people would have uh, been, you know, lucky to have purchased by the time they're our age now, which is in our 40s. Okay, and it was a beautiful house in a gorgeous area. Just un- we're so lucky to have blah blah blah. Okay, but the reality of it was is it was a golden cage because there was a mortgage on it, because there was an association dues, because there were all these expenses associated with it, and we had to work every single day to maintain it. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying we had a beautiful lifestyle. We had new leased cars. We didn't own our cars. We, did, we're, we were looking like we were living, as my dad used to say, way high on the hog, but the reality of it was is we were living high on the hog, but if that hog decided to walk out of our pasture, we were screwed. And so we had what we had done is what a lot of people do is they accumulate a lot of debt, and then their whole life is about maintaining what they have. And, and that is what most people use as motivation. I know people, there's an, a generation or two older than Julie and I, where, and some of you guys will know what I'm talking about, 
not very many, but some of you, who were taught that the way you keep yourself motivated is you go out and buy the nicest suit you can buy, you mortgage up the nicest house you can buy, you lease the nicest car you can lease, you essentially make it so that you have so much personal overhead that you will fight like hell to have to make those payments every month, and you do. And so you end up with your Rolls Royce. You end up living in your beautiful house, but you never accumulate anything. And so what happens as a result? You're never free. You're just constantly in debt, having to slave your life away, losing you know, seconds, minutes, hours, and then years, and then decades, and then your whole life, just to basically maintain appearances. You've never given yourself the ability to be financially free. Some of you, without knowing it, have slipped into that very lifestyle. We did, okay? We did. I told you guys I'd be completely honest with all of you on our podcast. We always are. Yeah, it was easy to do, because, I mean, everyone was saying, oh, my God, you guys... It's even easier to do when you sell in that neighborhood that you're invested in because you can justify virtually every expense that you spend, at least temporarily. Well, I think it's worse for agents to do that. Mm -hmm. National Association of Realtors sent out a camera crew and took pictures of Julie and I. Terrible pictures, by the way. They're horrible. But they were. Well, you know the reason they were awful, Julie, is because when the pictures were taken, you and I were fat. (laughs) That's the reason they were awful. That's true. We had many post-listing pieces. Yeah, exactly. Right. Anyway, so moral of the story, a lot of you can understand what I'm saying. How would it feel like if you woke up in the morning and you had enough money coming in passively that you no longer had to work for your money, your money was working for you? Would you still want all those outward appearances of success just to essentially try to impress what were mostly strangers? It's an interesting paradox for many of us to have to work through. But I'll tell you, I think that it's attached to – A lot of it's obviously attached to ego, but a lot of it's also attached to age. The older you get, the less you find Mm -hmm. uh, uh, outward appearances to be important. And I can tell you, again, from coaching, coaching is the greatest gift that, I mean, the things we've learned from coaching agents over the years. You guys, look, thank you for the praise, saying we're great coaches and all we've done to help you and your real estate businesses. But the truth is, we always get more of our coaching calls than uh, what you guys get because we're learning from you learning. That's what we're doing. We're learning how to get better at coaching. We're learning what's – and this keeps Julie and I – you guys wonder what motivates Julie and I at this point in our careers and our lives. It's the quest to do a better job for you. That's really what it is. It, when we come up – and Julie and I talk about this stuff all the time. Why is it we can't get this person to move forward? They're smart. They're ambitious. They've got everything going for them, but they just constantly go from, for example, a constant theme in real estate agents' lives and brokers, for that matter, is they go from feast to famine. They'll earn a bunch of money, and then they'll basically have maybe two or three years, if they're lucky, of they seem like they got the you know, cat by the tail, and then they go through a two- or three-year cycle where they're sort of unraveling it, almost like they intentionally grenaded their own success. Well, the reason that they do that subconsciously is because they're not comfortable with the level of success that they've obtained because they're not, they haven't yet dealt with some of these core issues that we're talking with you guys about. The last show we're going to talk to you about are the pillars of financial independence that you need to be putting in place first. Um, and we're going to tell you exactly what we learned from essentially people that were – one of the guys in particular that mentored Julie and I for a bit was a billionaire. And he told us I – mean, 
some of the stuff he told us were so it's the most basic stuff in the world, but it's so true and nobody does it. So we're going to be telling you guys that about in the last show. So just a summary again, just remember this guys, and this is the truth. Unless you have an exceptional school or went to an exceptional school, your schools do not want to be rich, you to be rich and free. Your teachers did not want you to be rich and free. Your teachers chose those jobs because they wanted security, and anybody who doesn't also seek security as their primary motivator, they do not understand. That's the reason if you have kids that are going to school and they don't just act like gears in the wheel, it's not that the teachers don't want to help them. It's just they literally don't understand them because they do not relate to people like what you've got maybe as a kid being a little bit more of an independent, freer thinker. Now, and then the government. The government sure as hell does not want you to be rich. That's the main thing that you guys have to understand. Um, the government does not want you to be rich. The government wants you to be dependent because the more you're dependent, the more you're scared. The more scared and dependent you are, the easier you are to control. I want you to think about what I just said. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's just a fact. I mean, historically, if you go all the way back to essentially – Recorded civilization. You, we, people always talk about Rome and whatnot, but you can even go back before that. That's the way the government evolves. It essentially has to figure out a way to stay in control to maintain its own government and maintain itself. The government becomes almost in conflict with the very people that helped to create it. Us. And so as a result, the way, they, the way it's encouraged – why do you think it's so important? This is, again, a thought. Why is it so important – for so many politicians, that Americans all have a home. You think it's the real estate that they want them to have for long-term wealth accumulation? I don't think so. They want them to have a mortgage. That way the people have to work so that people are always in debt, so that people are easier to control. That is a big function of what's happened to our civilization. Okay, maybe I'm ahead of my skis here, but the truth is, is if you didn't have any debt, or if you had very manageable debt, let's say, and you are rich by definition where your money is working for you, you no longer have to work for your money. Would you really be watching CNN giving a rat's ass about whatever President Trump tweeted? Would you care? No, you would not. Would you care about interest rates? No, you would not. Would you care about 99% of the things that you have been fooled into thinking are important? No, you would not because you're no longer living in fear. You're free of it. Isn't that interesting? It's a truth. This is all. This is all factual stuff, guys. You, got, you have any thoughts on that, Julie? Well, yeah, it's a game changer. I think that you're really uh, getting into this rule number three that everything is better and nothing is worse. I can't think of a single thing that's worse. You know, normal life problems do melt away. You know, the joke is first world problems, right? But that's really true. That's so freeing when you don't have to worry about all of those things that bog you down. You know, how are you going to pay the next visa bill? How are you going to, oh, my God, the grocery bill is so crazy. i got to start cutting coupons. All the extra activity you have to do when you're not wealthy, that goes away and gets to be filled with things you do want to do, things that you can help people with, you know, whatever that may be. But you don't have that freedom when you have so much worry. And I really, I've seen the transformation amongst many of our coaching clients. And I, I would describe it as, an invisible black cloud that used to surround them. And then after they figure this out, even when they have the tiniest bit of, of feeling that true wealth where their money's actually working for them and they're not having to work as hard for it on whatever level, you know, there's different, different levels of that, and we can get into that on a different podcast. But it's like that invisible dark cloud goes away 
and they didn't even realize how bad the stress of not being in the wealth creation world was. They don't even realize it. They, it's like a habit that they get used to. So let's read our – thank you for pushing me to rule number three. I obviously like rule number two because it took me okay. a long damn time to work through uh, point number two. Actually, I'll, I'm going to give you one little tagline on that. I had uh, – Julie and I – well, Julie wasn't, but I was raised in the church, and I had such a thick uh, you know, belief system around rich people that I, I wouldn't verbalize negative things about rich people, but I really did believe them. And when we were selling real estate, I realized I would hear myself in my head saying shit sometimes that was completely counter to the person I was trying to become. And I eventually came across, and he was a great real estate client for us, a, a, a pastor. And I, had, I wrote down all the little things that I'd remember going to my Presbyterian church. Pres- Presbyterian churches are started by Scottish people. Scottish people are notorious, notoriously cheap. <laughs> They're notoriously, um, you know, as far as spending money, about as frugal and conservative as you possibly can imagine. And that's how I was raised, basically. So I went to – his name was Ray – and I asked him all these questions specifically about these beliefs I had about church scripture, and he actually took the time and went through every – he had them all memorized, by the way – and went through every single one with me and basically proved to me and showed me that the way I was um, taught to interpret that particular bit of scripture was completely wrong. And what's fascinating is even if you weren't raised in the church, even if you don't have a religious background, that's fine because a lot of the things that you think are based on religious dogma. And then when you start cutting through all that stuff, it's unbelievably liberating, and that's what we're trying to do for you guys. So rule number three, uh, I'm going to just read these points. And, Julie, I know you're not going to want to read the second yep. one, so I'll read that one. You want to read the first one? Okay. Uh, I was getting ready for PC. But, yes, everything is better when you're rich. Nothing is worse. When you have normal life problems, does having money make those problems better or worse? This is right out of coaching calls. Stuff happens to you guys all the time. Is it better or worse when you have money coming in? Even the worst-case scenarios of life are better when you're rich. You have no problems when your problems can go away when you write a check. The problems you have when you have money are way better than the problems that you have when you're rich. So I'll let you continue because I've got to tee up my uh, premier coaching clients here. So that is a fascinating – yes, thank you, Julie. Do a great job on PC, as I'm sure you will. So that's a really fascinating little point that Julie just read because the reality of it is is that how many of you believe – that like how many of you have actually said or heard people say when you heard somebody earning a lot of money or having a big closing, I wouldn't have to pay those taxes. How many of you actually have said or thought that? Isn't that just stupid? I mean, just think about the just the insanity of that comment. Uh, you know, someone earns like you know a hundred thousand dollars and it has a great month, and then then the agents in their office rationalize the fact that they didn't sell anything by saying, well, thank God I don't have to pay those taxes. People say stuff like that all the time, don't they? You know, when you see, like, uh, there's a story that my friend Gene Frederick tells. I, I don't have it memorized, but basically the gist of it is, is he was at a real estate event, and he saw a there was someone there that, that was there speaking. I think it was Michael Dell or somebody like that, and they saw Michael Dell essentially getting into a private car, and the whole thing was, you know, he had private security. And the real estate agents sort of break into this little tribal conversation about how excessive it is, how show off of the and then and then Gene's point was, well, what if the what if the money that Michael's spending to do what you just saw is worth essentially what a nickel is to you? Would it really have the same context? And that's a really good point. 
But the reality of it is, is it starts the more basic thought. And the basic thought is, at the end of the day, what is your belief about having more money? If you had more money, do you believe it makes your life better or worse? Um, and it is true, guys. You have no problems. You have no problems. If you, wh- Whatever you think is a problem now can go, go away because you can write a check. Now, the worst you know, worst problems in life are like health problems and life and death type, well, death type problems, right? Well, you can make those types of situations a lot easier on yourself and the people you love if you have money. The difference is, let's just say it, in healthcare, in the experiences that you have when you're trying to get, you know, on the mend for something, if you have money, is different than if you're somebody who's basically panicking about how you're going to pay your insurance deductible. It's a totally different experience. Just everything is, guys. So don't believe that uh, life doesn't get better when you have money. There are no aspects, zero aspects of life that doesn't get better when you have money. The more money you have, the better it actually gets. So don't believe – I see these studies. They always come out. I don't know if you guys actually pay attention to who does the studies, but they're almost always political in nature. So oh, you know, the average person who earns $45,000 a year is just as happy as the average person – I'm making up this title, but you get the gist of it – as the average person as, – as someone you know, working 250000 a year. Then they go in to say, the person earning 250000 a year, this is how much time they have to put in and sacrifice, and all their life sucks. And, no, 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 listen. And let's have a conversation here, son. The reality of it is, is the dude or dudette earning $45,000 a year is not working as much. That might be true. But trust me when I tell you, they are worrying about money. There was a study that came out, again, maybe politically minded, that said in essence that almost 80%, it may have been even higher than that, of all like essentially uh, stress-related health problems, marital problems, all these types of things, you guys know what I'm going to say, are related to people's fear of having a lack of money. So really at the core issue of essentially what ails most of you is a lack of money. Now, again, it's too abstract. It's too obtuse what I just said. You can't wrap your mind around it. I totally get it. That's the reason that we gave you the definition of rich. Rich is where your money works for you. You no longer have to work for your money. And to really drill it down beyond that, how much money do you need per month to cover all your personal overhead? Find out what that is. Complete the real estate treasure map. Text the word Harris. H-A-R-R-I-S to 31996. Text the word Harris to 31996. Now, I was going to hopefully get to this story. You know what I'm going to. So those of you who are still listening, I'm going to go a little bit over our allotted time. This is something I thought was really kind of interesting. You know, you guys can tell I'm kind of a nerd about this stuff, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. I wrote this a few months ago. So people romanticize the idea of living simple lives out in the prairie or out in in a jungle tribe. But historical facts are that the tribal nations of, of humans was actually quite horrible. Indian tribes in the southwest actually committed some of the most brutal atrocities ever accounted for. Rape and murder were normal on the prairies. They weren't the spiritual meccas of well-being. Funny story is how every time (laughs) – okay, this is – actually, I do think this is funny. Have you guys ever watched some of those National Geographic studies about the lost tribe that they found someplace on the Amazon River, and then they go and they sneak cameras in, and you see these people that are kind of like malnourished and didn't grow very tall and – you know, have you just not looking like that mosquito bites all over them? But here it is. We're supposed to believe that these people that have been never discovered by Western civilization are somehow happy. Oh my gosh, it is where humanity needs to go. Back to where all we do is focus on, you know, 
safety and security and eating and, you know, those basic things of life, it sounds so spiritually wonderful. But what happens to those little tribes as soon as they discover that there's a world outside of their existence? They get the hell out. They leave. That's what happens every time. So that's the reason that the reason that these tribal, uh, when they do come across these sort of, you know, unwesternized, you know, original man type situations, the reason that they try to leave them alone as much as possible isn't for spread of disease or, I mean, all those things are part of it. It's because they know that as soon as those tribal people realize how crappy of an existence they've been settling for, they leave. And then you see, I remember this one specific thing Julie and I are watching, the whole history of discovering this lost tribe, right? You guys probably saw this too, Netflix or God knows what. And then they go back to this little tribe and like, you know, three years later, of course, they still have, don't have roads or whatnot, so they're having to take these crappy-ass rowboats up. And then here's the tribe. You know, five years before, they're living in thatch huts with loincloths and covered with mosquito bites, and they're all malnourished and slumped over and eating God knows whatever crawled their way that particular day. And then they go back three to five years later. Oh, they're in clothes. They're, they're eating. You see, you know, they have generators there. They're actually having some resemblance of health care. Oh, yeah, probably half of them left to the nearest city in Brazil or whatever, and now they have jobs and they're moving that. I mean, guys, the reality of it is is don't think a simple life a simple basic life is somehow the Shangri-La because what happens is you, when you don't have money, you don't have the ability to essentially acquire some of the things that makes life better. And here's a little uh, ending quote. I'm going to quote uh, Deepak Chopra, actually, of all people. And he says, and this was really great, he said, we are all spiritual beings in a physical incarnation. Spiritual beings in, in a physical incarnation. I, I agree with that 100%. And he said, so being that we need stuff because we're in a physical plane, we need shoes, we need clothes, we need cars, we need houses, we need those types of things. We need stuff for our spiritual you know, selves to exist in this physical you – know, I don't think he said plane, but you guys get the gist of what I'm saying. Uh, might as well have it be really nice stuff, <laughs> right? That's what he said. I thought that was kind of funny. So if you have a choice – between having just really marginal existence with marginal stuff and you have a choice to actually have something that's going to be exceptional, you do have to have clothes, you do have to have food, you do have to have all those types of things just to survive. Might as well make it be really nice stuff, right? What the hell's wrong with that? Do you feel guilty because you want something nice? You feel guilty because your you know, crapped out Hyundai is not doing it for you anymore and you want to buy a new car? That's insanity, guys. And what's it holding you back from? What happens if you flip that coin and you say, you know what, damn it, I'm listening to Harris. I don't necessarily agree with everything these guys say, but I agree with most of it, especially on this point. I am tired of compromising. I am tired of sucking it up buttercup every day. I am tired of believing now that I'm old enough to realize a lot of the, the, you know, the thoughts that I was implanted with are complete bullshit. I am tired of actually accepting mediocrity or worse. So I am going to quit. I am going to go on my own journey to actually move forward and think about and create a new parallel universe for myself and my family and the people I love and I, people I care about. That's where it starts. It starts with you being sick of it. It starts with you no longer wanting to tolerate it. It starts with you realizing that everything you want 
is on the other side of doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. And for some of you, that's going to be incredibly painful because your entire existence has been predicated on one word, comfort. You've been gone from one comfort situation, comfortable situation to the next. So here's a closing thought for you guys. Hopefully you like this topic as we do. And if you want to text me, please feel free to do so, 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. So Julie and I are obviously hoping to help you guys build powerful, profitable coaching business, or real estate businesses, right? That's our focus. So if you're not, here's, I want you to think about this, and I want you to notice how you emotionally react to what I'm about to say because I'm trying to reel it back into helping you guys be more productive in your businesses. If you're not hearing the word no from prospective sellers at least five times a day, you're not doing your job. You're a hack. If you're not hearing the word no from prospective sellers, well, you know what? I'll make it easier. Prospective sellers or buyers. In other words, you're asking a question that could result in the word no. If you're not doing that at least five times a day, you're a hack. Maybe it's asking for an appointment. Maybe it's calling a, you know, somebody to maybe talk with them about helping them sell their house that just expired. If you're not putting yourself in a position, I'm not saying you want to hear no. I'm saying you want to putting yourself in a position to hear no at least five times a day. You're not doing your job. You are absolutely an amateur, and that's the reason that you're still suffering financially. How do you react to that emotionally? Fascinating. I've said that in front of different groups of people. And sometimes they say, yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of cool. Other times it's like, oh, my gosh, Tim and Julie just created blasphemy. They've said something that I do not want to deal with is my massive fear of rejection. Okay? You don't get rejected, guys, as much as you would have otherwise if you learn what to say. And the first thing to learn what to say is realizing that the whole path forward is accepting the fact that your highest and truest purpose on this planet is being of service to other people. When you start with that dominant thought, I am here to be of service to other people, I am here to be of service to other people, I am here to be of service to other people, when that, you let that become part of your new upgraded software, then you start to move past from uh, this old software, which is essentially said, be fearful, be comfortable, don't put yourself in a position to be rejected, be fearful, be comfortable, make sure you spend your time doing anything other than something that's going to be proactive, because God forbid you offend somebody, God forbid you hear no, you guys get my point? Is this making sense to you? I know it is. Stay close, guys. The next couple shows we do on this topic is going to be even more fun. The last point of this series that we're going to do is we're going to tell you guys exactly what financial pillars that we uh, prescribe to all of our coaching clients and the same ones that uh, we do ourselves. Spokes, if you guys know what I'm talking about, those of you guys who are part of our group, you, our coaching company, you know what I'm talking about. The, you know, essentially, there's lead generation spokes, but there's also wealth building spokes. I'm going I'm to leave this thought with you. When you guys accept the fact that you can be rich, you can be financially free, when you just let that bounce around your head, you just embrace it. You're going to feel a – it might not last very long, okay? But you're going to feel an overwhelmingly powerful feeling of freedom. And then some of you will call it an epiphany. Others will call it an aha moment. Embrace that, okay? That's your way forward. That's your new North Star. Realize how much better you would feel and how much more essentially everything in life would be more meaningful if you no longer had to basically be a debt slave, if you no longer had to live in fear. So, guys, your homework, as always, text the word Harris to 31996. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. 
This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.